0: the only other caution i would really say on that is there's a lot of people out there that are employed as cleaners but they're not employed as cleaners for short-term rentals that's a big difference
1: are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah larvey
2: Hey listeners, it
3: is Sarah Larby and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest. I hope that you guys are enjoying these podcasts. If you are, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. So today's guest is Dean Curtis and Dean is a real estate investor really specializing in short-term rentals, so cottages. And if you guys are interested at some point or maybe you currently have one, in renting out your cottage and creating a higher cash flow than you may with regular rentals, then this is going to be the podcast for you. I will also say that Dean from Serenity Vacation Rentals also hosts a meetup in Guelph, Ontario called The Great Meetup, and we're gonna talk about that and how you can find it, but it is great, I've been to it, and you can network, you can learn just different strategies, and it is also free so Dean hosts those in Guelph I think it's a bi-monthly event so every couple months and you can find the information on meetup if you search great meetup so one of the things that you guys may know is we Matt and I bought a cottage in March and this has been I guess the first summer and fall renting it And it's doing really well. Like We ended up buying the cottage. We refinanced one of our properties, did the burr strategy. Love it. And we used the money towards the down payment for the cottage. And we looked at our costs for running the cottage. And the awesome thing is, is that we have a cottage that we're not having to pay out of pocket for. We've got renters going up there renting it on a weekly basis. Usually in the slow season, it might be more of a two, three day type of weekend rental, but it is doing well. I wouldn't mind doing some more. So Dean is currently the owner of four vacation cottage rentals. Also, he manages about 11 of them for others. So we're going to talk about buying the property, what to look for, We're also going to be talking about the differences in management because it is definitely more time intensive than, for example, a regular rental that you just put the tenant in and forget it. But there are some really cool things. One of the things I really like about the short-term rental is that as long as it's under 28 days, the Residential Tenancies Act is not applicable in this case because these are not considered long-term tenants. And so there's a lot of benefits. There's also some downsides. So definitely some things to weigh the pros and cons that we will talk about with Dean. And so without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi, Dean. How are you?
0: Hey, Sarah. How are you doing?
3: Great. Great. So before we get into it, can you let us know your background, what your portfolio currently looks like?
0: Yeah, sure. So I work as a firefighter here in the city of Guelph. I've always been interested in real estate investing. I started Quite a number of years ago, just with regular, straight up year-long lease rentals. Did that for about five or six years. I was in a partnership with my brother. He ended up getting pretty busy, so I was taking on things myself. I had a, quite a few bad renters in a row. And anyhow, I had a got a bit of a poor taste for real estate investing. So I took about 10, 15 years off in between and then started to get the bug again. And so that's when I bought my first cottage and used it as a short-term vacation rental. And I can get more in depth on the short-term rentals, but currently we have, I am the owner or the part owner of four cottages. I started a management company for those short-term rentals, and we currently have a total of 11 cottages that we manage. And just got a few other investments outside of the short-term rentals, and that's not necessarily because I think that they're the best investment, but just for personal reasons. My oldest son is in college now, so we got a rental for him to be in, and so we have one student rental. We have four cottages that we rent out on a short-term basis. I have an acre and a half orange plantation in Paraguay. And (laughs) so we're just kind of looking all over the place. And then right now we're looking at diversifying the short-term rental aspect a little bit. So I'm looking in other areas of Ontario, but also outside of Ontario. I was in Belize looking at property there and I went down looking in Florida as well. So we're, we're looking to broaden it a little bit.
3: Good. So you do a little bit of everything. And so I, I really want to dig into the cottages and the management piece of it. Yeah. How does somebody go about purchasing the first cottage? I, I have that question a lot where they, they're doing more long-term types of buy and holds. But what are some of the differences and how do you go about it?
0: Right. So it is really two different animals depending on how you plan to use the cottage. So you have people out there that want to have a secondary property as their own vacation destination getaway. And they want to occasionally rent it out a week here, a week there, just to offset some of the costs. So that sort of a deal would just be straight up with your mortgage broker. You're looking to buy a secondary property. If you're looking to buy it as a rental, it is a little bit different. So you would need to talk to your mortgage broker about that, but you may be into some B lenders, but certainly... You can still, depending on uh, your personal situation, you can still get a property at 5% down as long as it's your first or second property, or it's intended to be your secondary home, your vacation getaway. Again, if you're looking at turning it into a full-on short-term rental, it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to need a little bit more down. But again, I would advise your listeners just to go and check with their own mortgage professional on that. That's how we got started anyways. It was just as our secondary vacation home that we would occasionally rent out on the side.
3: Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's actually, so what I did exactly last year is we bought a cottage as a second home and it was with one of the big banks. But again, I don't know if they want you to be renting it as an Airbnb piece. I, I think right. different lenders. So thank you for for pointing that out. Obviously, everyone's situation is different. Cottages can be four season, three season, like when I was looking at it as well. I needed to find something four season or three season that I can update within that's a right. time frame. So that made a difference between having to put 35 down versus only 20
0: down in my example. Um, Absolutely. Yeah.
3: So how did you get to four? So it's just, you basically, is it 20% down on your case? I mean, obviously everyone's example is different, but
0: Right, yeah. So our first home, our first cottage. And I should mention for your international listeners, uh, I know a lot of different countries refer to cottages would almost be like a cabin, you know, a kind of a shack in the woods. In our area I should clarify, we refer to cottages basically as, as a vacation destination that may or may not be on the water or close to water. So some of these cottages, they could be $1.5 million property, all the way down to, to $100,000 property on the water. So we, the use of cottage, I should clarify, it could be any class of a, any size of a building. But anyhow, how we got, got going is I went out and, and bought our cottage, found our cottage. It was on a very small lake. We had a few things that we definitely wanted to have. Definitely had to be on water. We wanted at least three bedrooms. We wanted at least two bathrooms just because we wanted something that we knew our family would be able to enjoy. And when we found this property, we absolutely fell in love with it. We purchased the property. Within the first year, we noticed a piece of land which became for sale on the other side of the lake. And I said to my wife, why don't we buy that land and we'll just sit on it for five, six years. Maybe we'll build on it someday. Maybe we won't. But I know I'm going to get upset with myself if I see another cottage being built over there. And I think I could have had that piece of land. Right. Right. So we ended up buying the land, and for that land, we used a home equity line of credit, and we purchased the land there. And then it was only a couple of months we had the land. Again, talking with my wife, I said, you know what? We're making payments on this land. If we could just put a cottage on there and rent it out, now some, somebody else is paying for those payments. We're not paying for those payments. So we were able to go out get a contracting mortgage, get a cottage built on that land, And that was interesting. I should tell you too, if you want to get into that. We ended up within a year, had that cottage built and started renting that one out. Then other people saw what we were doing, that we had two cottages that we were successfully renting out. So I had some people come to me who were interested in buying their own cottage, but didn't want to take things on their own. They were looking for a partner. So the third cottage, it's a 50% partnership. We bought that cottage, started renting it out. And that's when I kind of got into being Serenity Vacation Rentals before I was just Dean Curtis, a guy with a cottage, you know? (laughs) So at that point, I thought, well, I'm getting enough cottages that we need to have some sort of an umbrella organization that's looking after all the cottages. And again, with our fourth property, same thing. I had two investors, two friends of mine that were looking to buy a cottage. I said, I'd be happy just to manage it and look after it and run it for you. They said that they would feel more comfortable if I came in as a partner on the deal. I said, perfect. So then uh, the three of us went in together and that became our fourth cottage. Then after that, again, I had people coming to me. But at that point, I said, look, I'm just happy to manage them. Mm -hmm. And I started taking them on as as a manager, started to look after them. I should say, too, my wife, she was going to join me today. She wasn't feeling very well. But my wife is a real estate agent. And so it kind of worked out well when people were looking for cottages. They would get us as a team. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we would go out and look at the cottages. We would send them what we thought were going to be good rentals. They'd look them over, narrow the field down based on what they liked, and then we would go out and look at the properties. And while we were looking at each property, she's dealing with the real estate aspect with them. And then I'm able to give my advice on things they could do to maximize their income potential on the properties and whether it's going to be a good rental, why it's not going to be a good rental, proximity of neighbors, the privacy issues, proximity to the water, all those things came up in our discussion. So that's how we got from four up to 11 for the most part, was people purchasing their cottages, utilizing us right from the start, knowing it was going to be a short-term rental. We do have uh, one of our cottages came on board. They already had their cottage before us and just wanted to, to join on with us to manage their property. Very
3: cool. So some of the fundamentals that you mentioned with privacy, and just different things. So like when you're looking for a cottage, so if if for example, you know, one of the listeners wants to start looking, what are some of the fundamentals for the area or even just the cottage that they should consider?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing to consider when you're out looking at it. So there's quite a few things that I have on a list when I go out and look at a property. So one of the things is proximity to Toronto. The bulk of your clientele are coming from the Metro Toronto area. So the closer you are to that area, the, probably the more you're going to pay for the cottage, but also the more you're going to be able to ask for in rental dollars. As that circle starts to grow outward, you can find a cottage at a better price, but the rental prices that you can ask for are lower and lower as well, because again, people don't want to travel too far outside of the Toronto area. There is a market for cottages that are not right on the water, that are not lakeside. But again, to buy those cottages, a lot less. The rental dollars you can get, a lot less. So I like to have cottages right on the water. You also got to think of the avatar that you're trying to market to. So who is your ideal customer? Are you looking to rent to small families? You only want to have family of four, family of five, come and stay at your cottage. Or are you looking for an extended family where you can charge a little bit more and have a a few more people come to the cottage? So instead of the family, am I looking at grandma and grandpa coming along? Am I looking at the in-laws coming along as well? And then right up to you can get very large properties where you could accompany small weddings or large family reunions. A lot more insurance issues. You want to make sure that that's going to be okay with your township. But again, because there are fewer and fewer cottages that can accompany larger and larger groups, you can ask for a higher rental dollar as well for the larger properties. There's a ton of things that I like to look for with a cottage. Some of them you could put in after the fact. You always wanna have a fire pit. The guests coming from the city are looking for that country, rural experience. So for them to be able to sit around a campfire at the cottage, that's pretty big. If it's got great fishing, Something else to consider that a lot of people miss is they think only about the summer market. Have a look around, what kind of winter attractions are there? Are the snowmobile trails close by? Is there a ski hill close by or a, or a cross-country skiing club? What are your attractions all year long? Proximity to town. Some of the cottages here in Ontario, you may be a 45-minute, a one-hour drive to the closest town just to get groceries. That's a They come from the city. They want to have that rural experience, but yet they want all the conveniences of what they can find in a town close by. So you factor all of those things in together when you're looking at the properties and hopefully you find a winner amongst the bunch you're looking at.
3: That's some great points as well. I was just even thinking there's a lot of specific areas, they have a huge population in the summer months and then all of a sudden everything shuts down for the winter. So mm-hmm. I think that's a, a great piece of advice and try to find something where there's still stuff going on in the winter months like I have. Right now, some renters at my cottage, and they're actually working on a dam in the area. So there's five workers. Mm -hmm. So they're there for a couple weeks, and then they go to their divers, so they go somewhere else afterwards as well. But I think that piece is important for calculating your cash flow and just ensuring that you've got some attractions in the area for all seasons. Absolutely. So in in regards to management, when we say, okay, we're going to have a cottage where I'm guessing people are going to either use VRBO, Airbnb, where where do they start? So they have the cottage, they closed on the cottage and they want to get started. Like what's the next step?
0: Right. So as you said, so even before you get out there and start advertising, you need to make the decision. Am I going to manage this property myself? Or am I going to have someone manage it for you? You can certainly look after the property yourself. You don't have to worry about paying any commissions to a manager to look after the property. But then you have to take that in contrast with, now I'm fielding phone calls sometimes through the night. How do I get the microwave working? I can't find the remote for the TV. We got our car stuck on the drive coming in. What do we do now? In the winter time, we get some pretty harsh winter snow up here. So those are all things to consider. So if you're looking to take on managing and looking after the property yourself and fielding those phone calls, that's all great. You need to decide on where you're going to advertise. Some of the common places, uh, of course, would be Kijiji, which is usually free to advertise. That would be similar to Craigslist in the States. You could use VRBO, Airbnb. There's cottages in Canada. There's a number of different advertising platforms, and there seems to be new ones coming out all the time. So, I mean, we test some of our cottages and some of those different advertising platforms to see how they perform based on the cost of us advertising. Something to consider as well is a lot of times in these advertising platforms, there's going to be charges to you as a host, sometimes either as an upfront advertising fee or as a commission that they will take off of every rental, which is booked through that advertising platform or the other thing to, uh, if if it's not in that form, I'm sorry. So it's either through an upfront commission or an upfront charge or commission on the rentals. So that's something you want to factor in to see how that advertising platform is performing. When the guest is booking, you may through that platform be charged a commission on the rental, but that guest may also be charged the commission on that rental. So the overall charge to the guest can be significantly higher depending on the advertising platform they're coming through. So the end goal should be for you as a host or as a cottage owner to try and direct as much of that traffic to your home base as you can, because it's going to be cost savings for your guests. They're going to be happier overall, and a lot more money ends up going into your pocket depending on how you set up your prices on the advertising platforms. So. With my owners, I give suggestions on where I think their rental prices could be. Ultimately, the owners can make the final decision on where they want those rental prices to be. So my goal is to make sure that that owner ends up with that price overall. So that can be factored in as well. When I put it onto these platforms, if I know they're going to charge a commission and take off X number of dollars, I can still make that price to the point where the owner is going to get the price that they were looking for, for that rental. And thereby though, as I said, That'll increase the price for the guest, unfortunately. So it's in their best interest if they can come through you directly.
3: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like you're thinking of like your, their own personal website as an example
0: absolutely absolutely yeah so i would definitely recommend having your own website i would suggest naming your cottage giving them some sort of a handle it's a lot more fun to say i went and stayed at the larby estate as opposed to saying i went and stayed at one two three smith street they're never going to remember the address but they might remember the name of the cottage that they went to so i think that's really important give your cottage an identity and then when they're sharing with family and friends they'll remember the name of the cottage and pass that on to their family and friends
3: very cool so In regards to booking, somebody books, what's the process afterwards? Let's just say they book your cottage. I know some cottages offer linens and towels, some don't. Just all the little things that you as a cottage owner need to remember. Let's walk through a little bit of that and just the things that somebody that's gonna book a cottage once they stay at your cottage, what are some of their requirements or expectations?
0: Sure. So I should say that the expectations are growing too. It used to be fairly common here in Ontario with a cottage rental that the guests would show up and they might even be lucky if there's pots, pans, and dishes there. You used to just provide the bare bones. The guests may be asked to bring their own linens, to bring their own pots, pans, cooking dishes. That has certainly changed. So now the standard is to have a very well-equipped cottage for your guests to come. So if they want to come and cook a meal in the slow cooker while they enjoy, enjoy the water all day, if they want to have baking pans to cook a, a bake a birthday cake for somebody in the family, it's nice to have that stuff there. So it's important to really make sure that your cottage is equipped. Internet is huge right now. It used to be that, well, you went to the cottage to get away from all of that sort of stuff. But the fact is, right now, a lot of people can't relax unless they know that they can check in on their business occasionally. It's the only way that they can relax. There's a yearly vacation rental summit that takes place where a lot of managers and owners get together and network and learn. And they did a survey of guests on the important, different, certain things that were important to them. Internet, having internet available ranked higher than drinkable water.
3: Wow. (laughs)
0: And it was funny, we were laughing, but I guess they thought, well, we can always bring a bottle of water with us, but I got to have internet there, you know, yeah. and so that's how important it is. So yeah. you all, you almost end up becoming their personal concierge because you're dealing with all of the phone calls and, and uh, yeah, so anyhow, that, sorry, you were asking how we get them into the property or how? The- yeah,
3: just the things to consider. I mean, I'm just thinking even like, for example, like you've got to schedule your cleaner to go ahead of time. Right. About which beds that she needs to make for example and then even restocking right so like for yeah. for us if we're not there for a while like i need her to make sure that there's enough like hand paper or hand yes. towels and toilet paper and kleenex and all that kind of stuff so it is a little bit more hands-on than a regular rental <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely it it really is so that's something you got to be prepared for as well they can cash flow really well it's it's good money but it's definitely going to take a lot more time because you're dealing with weekly rentals and, and weekly changeovers. So we were talking about what we're providing for the guests and toilet paper, paper towel, that sort of thing. So we are seeing a trend right now where, where linens are being provided. The, like a hotel, you arrive and the beds are made nicely. For us, we actually make a point, we have a bottle of wine out for the guests when they arrive. We have a personalized welcome for the guests. So any information we're able to gather from them at the time of booking, we include that in the notes that go to the uh, to the cleaner. And when the cleaner goes and prepares the property and has the wine out, they might w- make reference to what they had already made reference to, that they were hoping to have good luck fishing, or they were looking forward to trying out the local ski hill. My cleaner makes a point to kind of reference that in their welcome letter when they arrive. So. Okay. So those are, we still have a number of our properties though, that we do ask the guests before they leave, if they could do the laundry, the linens, if they could have the last load of linens in the dryer before they leave. Because a lot of times our cleaners are driving quite a distance and for them to have to stick around four or five hours to to be able to do the laundry. So even if the guests can get that started, we do ask most of them to do that. However, we are starting to see that change where even that is being offered as a part of the service. Within our 11 cottages, I think we have four right now that are offering that full service where you just come, you leave. There's still an expectation the cleaners aren't going to arrive and it's a disaster. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's cake on the walls and all that sort of thing. But uh, at least you can leave with it tidy and the cleaners will look after everything. So I think that's where we're going is getting full service, very similar to a hotel. Come in, stay. You don't have to worry about anything and just leave.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I found my cleaner, I think through word of mouth, I was calling around to, to find somebody that did all that service. And then as I was doing that, there were some cleaners that were not interested in walking or some cleaners that wanted to charge 60, 70 cents a kilometer to drive to the cottage. And they add that on before they even get there. How do you, so give us an idea of like what that costs to, to have somebody to do that and then where somebody can find that person.
0: Yeah, well that's a tough question to answer. That's difficult. That's one of the things that we struggle with the most is trying to find uh cleaners in the area, handyman in the area. And again, just cuz usually these cottages can be remote, there's a lot of driving involved. In these remote areas it tends to be any of the people that are living there full-time tend to be older and and retired and not interested in taking on any extra jobs. So that's the question and all I can say is we just kept putting ads out when we find a good person we make sure that they're compensated appropriately so they don't want to go somewhere else and the only other caution I would really say on that is there's a lot of people out there that are employed as cleaners but they're not employed as cleaners for short-term rentals that's a big right. difference so you have a cleaner who cleans houses for a living well they're used to coming in cleaning your home but maybe they don't do laundry or they don't I'll, I'll clean but I don't empty garbages that's something I don't do well If our cleaner shows up to our property, if it already looks beautiful, that's great. But if they show up and it's a complete disaster, that cleaner still has to be able to get that ready for the next person that shows up. And uh, we can deal with those past guests, no problem. But the cleaner still has to be able to do the clean and say to the owner, oh my God, it was a disaster. It took me nine hours to clean it. Here's why. Here's some pictures of maybe the, the mess that they made or the damage that they did. And the owner can deal with that after the fact. Now I should say, I don't want to scare everybody away. I mean, the amount of times where I get a call from a cleaner where they've left it a disaster or they've broken stuff is less than 5% of the time. Yeah. And even with that, when I do get a phone call, this was broken or that was broken. Most of the times it's something very small. They broke a mug. They broke a dish. Right. I, uh, I tell my owners it's best for them if it's anything under $50 or less, if there's any damages, anything missing, and it's worth $50 or less, consider that part of the cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. Things are going to happen. If you have a fantastic family that comes and stays at your property and they left you a great review in the guest book, they had a wonderful time, they're going to tell all their friends and family what a great time they had. But then I email them afterwards and say, "Oh, by the way, I found a broken dish. You owe me ten dollars." Right. It's not worth the the loss of the the referrals that you're going to get from that guest. You know exactly. Yeah.
3: I think the other thing too, like most of them will actually let you know. Like I find they're they're pretty reasonable. They'll call and say, "I accidentally broke this," or you know, "Is there anything that you want me to do with it?" Or I don't know somebody broke a, like a wine, like corkscrew uh, open or yep. they want to replace it so I think most of the time like people are pretty good like they're not there to destroy the property they're there to Absolutely. Hang, out, hang out with their family and have a good time And hopefully come, come back again and the reviews I love the reviews like on the Airbnb because I think it just gives people an ability to say like I want to keep my standing my five stars so they, they leave the place in like pretty good shape and it's funny because I think that the sites with reviews the, the guests have been better than even like people that we personally know that were like, okay, you go up and, and we do this stuff, deal under the table. Like not all of them like some of them have been great, but sometimes the the kids will like, I don't know, leave popsicle stains everywhere and then yeah. you know, they don't really clean. And then you, you go up and then you didn't hire the cleaner because you were kind of like helping them out. And then you go up and it's not as, as, as you left it. But I think the one thing that drives me a little crazy is when people – for example, like we'll break something and they don't even tell you, like we'll go out and we found like one of the knives and like the block of knives like was missing. And I would have liked to know. (laughs) Yeah. I I wouldn't have charged them, but it's all those little things you realize when you go up there because we enjoy our cottage ourselves and once in a while. And so when things are all, when they're all over the place, we'll fix them. If we know about it, it's fine, but we don't like to just have surprises of, Oh, this is broken. We didn't know about
0: it. Yeah, yeah. And and the tough thing, a lot of times the new owners, what they have difficulty with is you get your cottage and you get it set up perfectly and then you have four or five rentals and they come and then the owners come back to the cottage and well, this chair has kind of moved a little bit over here. (laughs) These movies have moved from this shelf over to this shelf and it drives people crazy. So I try and warn everybody, listen, they're, they're going to be living in your property. They're going to be using it as they would their own home. I joke with the guests I say you know they're there on vacation they're going to be doing things in your bedrooms you probably don't want to know about but uh, I mean they're there to use it as their home so as long as they're not breaking things so you've got to move these movies back to the shelf you've got to move this chair back to where it originally was it's really not that big a deal.
3: No, you got to weigh that too with the fact that some of these cottages in high season, $3,000 a week is definitely, like for my area anyways, the the going rate. And so yeah. when you look at that, you're like, okay, well, it costs me know, maybe $2,000 to carry the cottage per month. One week is 3000 as an example. You can replace those things
0: <laughs> pretty quickly, uh, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And and like you said, the only ones that I really get worried about, and again, my role as an owner is a lot different than my role as a manager too, right? Like when we're faced with a problem where something is broken, I'm listening to both sides. I need to hear, okay, what the guest is saying, what the problem was, how it got broken, why it got broken, if it was an accident, if it was on purpose. And then I have to listen to the owner on what the costs are to replace it and everything else. So my hat is a little bit different depending on whether I, I'm as a, an owner or a manager but the owners they for myself as an owner as you said I know I feel a lot better when they come forward because everybody makes mistakes yeah and so, even before I was a cottage manager myself my family rented a cottage and we had that very thing happen one of my kids stepped on a plastic uh, kayak oar and broke the paddle off well yeah. I felt, felt bad it was an accident I called the management company And uh, the owner said, you know what, don't even worry about it, because it's just so refreshing when you hear a guest that, you know, that owns up to to what they did. And if it's something minor, well, it's the cost of doing business.
1: Where should I invest? With your host, Sarah Larvey. We'll be right back.
2: hey guys i just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because i wanted to introduce you to dahlia barsoom of streetwise mortgages i am a big believer as you guys probably have heard work with a mortgage broker they are going to help you scale and when i was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property i was going directly to the bank then i hadn't met dahlia yet And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time, and Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors, and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders, and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was gonna get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com, or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com, and then just go to the contact section, and you can also call her at 1-800-208. 6255. Thanks for listening and back to
1: the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, are you cash flowing? And then, I mean, I, I guess I kind of know, you know, I'm thinking the answer is going to be yes, but I just, I be interested in hearing an idea. So if you were to take your cottage and you were to rent it long term, you know, what does that look like in comparison to the cash flow that you make when you do it short term? Or is it kind of break even because of the, you know, vacancy is a lot higher?
0: Oh, it's night and day. It's night and day different. So I've had full time rentals, as I've told you in the past, I've had full time, uh, sorry, straight up rentals here in the city of Guelph years ago. Where I rented to a family on a year long lease. Renting it by short term is cash flowing way better. There's a lot leftover money at the end of the year. But there is a lot more work involved. Uh, as I said, you know, you're dealing with phone calls, you've got changeovers every week, you have cleaners coming in, handymen coming in, you're sending out payments by email transfer to make sure that all of these people are paid and looked after. So it is a trade-off. If you're willing to put in the work, it can be, it can be lucrative, it can be good for you, but it is not as passive as looking for a family to rent out on a year-long lease and stay in the property for a year. So there, there is a big difference.
3: Yeah, higher cash flow and you still get to enjoy a cottage where you have got others paying for it but definitely more more management intensive and was looking at different companies to manage it. I mean, it's not uncommon to be in the 20% even potentially a little bit more. Uh, That's right. every so, single time you rent it. So if you're renting your cottage for, you know, 3000 a week, you're most likely paying 20%. And so, you know, you got to look at the pros and cons and is that worth worth it for you or or not.
0: That's right as management companies in Ontario right now are charging anywhere between thirteen percent all the way up to thirty percent and with that commission there's going to be a lot of different things that they offer so so be sure to check that out as well talk to the manager uh, you know what exactly are you getting for that percentage
3: so is there a, a site that you prefer like is it VRBO I mean other than obviously people directing people to your website because you mentioned that but is there a better is there something better between VRBO or Airbnb or for, for your market that you're looking at?
0: Yeah, so I find that those are the, certainly the two big ones are VRBO, Airbnb. There's Canada Stays, which is now VRBO has bought them out. There's uh, Flipkey. There's, um, but the, there is a few different options available to you. Uh, I find Airbnb is bringing in a lot of the traffic. It's a different demographic. There's a younger crowd that is coming in through Airbnb, an older crowd coming in through VRBO. But with that said, if you're thinking, well, I don't want a a younger crowd. So through Airbnb, you can actually place a setting now on the minimum age of someone that's allowed to book that property. So if you go into the settings on your listing, And you've decided in your head, I don't want anybody booking who's under 21 years old. You can actually set that age limit on your booking. But something else to keep in mind is a lot of times these young people that are booking through Airbnb, they're booking because mom and dad or grandpa and grandpa have have asked them to go and Mm -hmm. book for them, right? So... Uh, You can certainly, you can set up instant booking through Airbnb where you just uh, make sure you put in your restrictions uh, right from the start, or you can have the setting through Airbnb that they need to contact you first. You can ask some of those questions before you accept the booking.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would say too, is if you're going to use more than one booking site, so like for example, like I have two, I have Airbnb and then I use Ken from Kawartha Cottage Rentals. Yeah. And I think it's just really important that like as soon as one gets booked on one site, like so I manage the Airbnb piece, that they know so that they're not double booking. And so just to like, make sure that, I don't know, however, maybe you have a different way to do it, but however you want to do it, mm-hmm. make sure that you're you're keeping one calendar with all the bookings in one place.
1: Yes,
0: absolutely. So Airbnb, you can usually upload what they call an iCal Where your central calendar, if you have a booking through another advertising platform, as soon as you set in that booking, it will update on all of the advertising platforms. Because you're right, that is a very big deal. You don't want to double book. If somebody tries to book through Airbnb and you cancel, if you have to cancel a booking through Airbnb, it can actually uh, penalize you in that it will lower your listing ranking. So uh, Airbnb, for those of you that aren't familiar with Airbnb, they have a section called Super Host where you've done so many rentals and you've got uh, so many stars for your reviews. Once you have Super Host status, you, you, it's nice to have that, maintain that because you have some guests that are looking for, for people that have been doing this a while and, and they get some comfort in knowing that it's just not their first time putting their place up for rent. So. You want to make sure that your calendar is up to date and you don't have to cancel a booking because of double booking. Otherwise, that could lower your ranking on the listings.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I I was going to say, so for Superhost, it's like 10. I think you have to do 10 in one year and then have at least a 4.9 rating. Mm -hmm. But we went to California and we picked two places. Like Matt got to pick a place to stay in Hollywood and then I picked a place and the hollywood one we picked it because it had like so many five-star reviews and then i wanted to have something a little bit less like with like i think there was like two or three um people that had gone prior and sometimes people run it like a business so one of the things that actually turned me off from the first place was that we walked in and it definitely was not five stars there is you know scuffs all over the walls like it was like it was not really clean and when we were checking out, we get a message from the owner saying, you know, I'm going to write you a five star. This is a business I would prefer if you also ranked me a five star. And I'm like, you know, I really don't like that. And then that also makes me think, is it all those people with all of these ratings? Is that how they run it? And I went to the other place and it was like so much more beautiful. And there was only like, and it wasn't as worn because there yeah. wasn't as many stays either. So it's kind of like a catch 22.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I get that. I get that there's so many scams and stuff out there nowadays in the last five years there's been two separate occasions where I've seen people have put up duplicate listings where they're actually copying someone else's cottage and putting up a fake listing and trying to get money sent Mm -hmm. to them so that that's something that's always kind of concerned me so I know when I'm looking around I do like to see that there's at least a few reviews yeah um, you know and people will will say, well, you could send in some fake reviews. Well, yeah, you could, it depends. If you're going to a website, it looks like it was thrown up in a day and it looks like somebody hand typed a couple of quick reviews, that's one thing. If you're going to a website and you see that uh, it has multiple pages, and that there's over 40 reviews on the property, that's a lot different than you know that this is a legit place. And, and mm-hmm. because it is really a leap of faith. A lot of times these places, they're sending in a security deposit in advance. And the nice thing about this compared to a straight up rental is you're sending in your money for the rental in advance as well. So I'm not waiting to you come and stay and then send me your money. Mm-hmm. I don't ever have to worry about going after somebody for rent. That money is in hand before they actually get the the code for the key box to get the key to get into the property.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. And, key, and you mentioned key box. The, the best thing that we did was put one of those like little like automatic, like you just put the code in and then the door unlocks because yep. even just explaining to people like where to find the key and what to do, oh my God, it would be horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they lose it. They take it back with them.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I would suggest too that even even though you've got that keypad, which is great, Always have a backup key somewhere on the property that they don't know about that you only have to tell them about if they can't get in. Because in the wintertime, I have a a keypad uh, door on one of my cottages. It works great. But as soon as we get into the winter months, the door starts to stick a little bit and then the keypad won't open the lock, right? And you don't want to have to send your handyman over or as long as you've got a key, a second key hidden somewhere in a locked box that they can get into, then you've always got a backup in place.
3: Yeah, that's, that's great tips for sure. So I do want to touch base on the insurance piece. You should tell your insurance company. One of the things that I was a little bit shocked about was how much more expensive the insurance was compared to a regular rental. So let's talk about that a little
0: bit. Yeah, definitely. So, Certainly, you're going to pay a lot more in in, um, insurance. So your insurance could be, depending on the size of the property, it could be $1,800 a year up to even $3,000 a year just for the insurance for one year. But a lot of insurance companies will, number one, will gauge that rate based on the number of rentals that you have. So for our properties, I'm renting them out as much as I can when I can. And whenever there's spare time, I'll go up there and stay myself. So I have a set price for the insurance on my property. If you're only renting it out one week or two weeks out of the year, your insurance rate's going to be a lot different. If you're only renting it out for the summer months and you're not renting it out for the winter months, that's going to be a different price again. So I guess what I'm saying is it can be a lot more expensive, but if you're renting it out as much as you can, that extra expense for insurance, it's all relative the amount that you're renting and the amount you're paying for insurance. But it's well worth it. Uh, we've had a couple of different insurance claims on our property. Well, actually, I guess that wouldn't really matter because none of them were even relevant to the guests being there. One was a, a pipe bursting and then another one was we actually had a flood. But I shouldn't say it didn't affect the guests at all. By having that rental insurance, we had a flood in one of our cottages where the natural water plane just came up and over, overwhelmed a drain, completely flooded the basement while the guests were there. So the insurance, because we had full rental insurance, it covered for all of our losses on the property, but it also covered loss of rent while we had to send guests away. It covered the refunds to those guests. So that's pretty important when you're depending on that income through the summer and then You got the consideration too. Well, all of these rentals that I have to cancel, they're going to be upset. Am I going to be able to get them into another property? Are they going to want to sue because they couldn't get into the property? That's what this type of insurance is going to cover you on.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So the other thing to consider, and I am not an accountant and you are not either. So obviously, you know, people speak to your accountants before, but- there is some differences or some things to consider if you're really renting this on a more permanent basis. And I think it's at $30,000 mark. That's right. But a factor in HST. So I, again, you're not an accountant, but can you give us any small insights?
0: Well, simply that, that here in Ontario with our HST, there's a limit of $30,000 gross income on the property. So if you're renting it out to the point, you had mentioned $3,000 a week property in the summertime, you rent it out for the 10 summer weeks you've got your $30,000, you then would then be expected to register and pay HST for any future rentals on that property. So that's something to keep in mind. But again, that's just my take on it. Consult your own accountants at home, but something that you want to consider for sure.
3: Okay. Okay. Perfect. Anything else about vacation rentals that we didn't cover that you think is something important to, to mention?
0: Sure. I'll quickly mention, again, I'm a big advocate of short-term vacation rentals. They've been very good for me, but one thing I want to caution everyone on is if you're looking at getting a short-term vacation rental, make sure you check with the township or the district to make sure that short-term rentals are allowed. There's a lot of counties right now that are looking at either restricting or banning short-term rentals. There's also a lot of areas that are very friendly towards short-term rentals. It brings money into the local economy. It supports the local handyman, the cleaners, the local contractors, the restaurants in the area, the gas stations in the area. So it's very good for the local economy and a lot of townships have embraced it, but there are some townships that have restrictions on that. So before you go out and purchase a property, And you put it up for rent, and then you get a letter on your door saying you're not allowed to rent it out on a short term basis. You're going to want to call the township and make sure and just ask, just call them. I'm looking at a cottage on such and such street. I'd like to be able to rent it out during the summer. Is there going to be any problems with renting it out? And they'll just tell you up front, no, unfortunately, we've got a ban on rentals. Or no, by all means, short term rentals are are great. Go ahead as long as, and some of them may allow rentals, but they'll just have certain rules, which are good. Like you can't have over a certain occupancy, maybe your septic tank needs to be inspected and cleaned yearly every two years. So these are the sorts of things you want to be aware of before you can go purchase a property.
3: Yeah. The regulations are a big piece. I mean, even just aside, just looking at Toronto, the limits that they placed on even condos for people that have if you have a your it's your second property or and you're not living in it there, i mean you're you're pretty much sol unfortunately and so do you see that ever coming uh, coming up towards the north the north side and the cottage rentals
0: you never know uh in fact the township where my four cottages are now they're actually looking at the issue The council that just came in late last year in October, they're actually, that's one of the items they want to take a look at this year is the issue of short-term rentals and whether A, do we allow short-term rentals, but on a restricted basis. So there's been some talk about, yeah, we'll allow rentals, but maybe only two or three weeks out of the year. There's been some other talk on we'll allow rentals but again, maybe they have to be licensed or maybe they need a permit. So we're just kind of laying in wait right now. We're trying to be vocal and active with the council up there, letting them know the benefits of short-term rentals. But we'll have to see where things land. So again, that's something where a quick phone call, if you were looking to buy in that area where the township would be able to say to you, actually, we're looking at that issue right now. So that might be a time where, oh, geez, maybe I better stay away from that township and look somewhere else until I find out what happens.
3: Yeah, so oh, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. It would be quite unfortunate if that was your plan, and then all of a sudden you close on the property, your your first tenant in, and then all of a sudden your neighbors complain. You've got
0: <laughs> you've yeah.
3: got on you, right? Exactly. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much. So next part of this is called the lightning round of questions. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. Everybody gets the exact same questions and just give us the first answer that comes to mind. You ready?
0: Okay, let's go.
3: All right. Question number one, your favorite real estate investing book ever. What is it?
0: Well, I'm going to go real old school on you. The first, the, the investing book that had the biggest impact on me was the wealthy barber a number of years ago. Um, but if I had to say current book, I, I'm not really reading anything current other than Crew Magazine. So I'd really recommend that Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine. You know, nice little short articles on different areas for me to to learn about. So, yeah.
3: What's really fun about the magazine too is I'd like to scroll through it and be like, oh, there's Dahlia or there's, you know, yeah. like because there's not that many investors that are actively out there networking. Like maybe there's few thousand at most but we all kind of cross paths so it is really cool to to see people that you know in there as well
0: that's right yeah
3: so number two your favorite podcast
0: well other than yours sarah i would say i've got two i like the real estate guys it's an american uh podcast but i I like they've got some really great subjects there and the other one that i listen to is the vacation rental success podcast so it's very relevant towards short-term vacation rentals And they let you know what's current and what's going on in the industry right now. Yeah,
3: Very cool. Is it American or Canadian?
0: It's Canadian. So the lady who runs it, Heather Bayer, she's uh, Canadian and uh, she runs a large management company here in Ontario. So she's based out of Canada, but the content is applicable for short-term rentals around the world.
3: Okay, great. So number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate?
0: I would have to say just movies. There's nothing better than uh, sitting down on the couch and watching a movie or going to the theater and just escaping for two hours, you know, so that, that's probably what I would have to say.
3: Okay. All right, cool. Number four, if you lost all your money and assets tomorrow, how would you start again?
0: I would work my butt off in two, three, four jobs, whatever I had to do to get the minimum down payment for a modest short-term vacation rental. That's what I would do. Is just I would want to make sure it was something that cash flowed well. So that's where I would start.
3: Okay, great. And last question number five: If somebody has fifty thousand dollars and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it?
0: I would tell them just get started. So uh, if they've got fifty thousand dollars. I'm going to pretty much the same as my last answer. It, it would be difficult to maybe find a cottage with $50,000 as a down payment. Although as long as you've got the income to support it, you could use it as a primary residence and maybe just rent out a lower level on the lake. That might be an option for you. But if that's not an option, maybe a student rental somewhere, look for a condo or something, but just jump in. Number one, get started. Don't have analysis paralysis and just keep analyzing and not investing. But number two, My other big tip is make sure it cash flows, especially your first one or two properties. Um, If you're just barely paying the bills and a big expense comes along, uh, you need a new roof, you need a new furnace, something like that, it's enough to wipe you out again and have you never want to get into real estate again. So make sure your first one, two, three properties really cash flow well, and then you can start to make purchases that look more at appreciation over time.
3: Yeah, I mean, that is a great point too. For our cottage, actually, we, most of the listeners know that we we buy in Brantford as the Burr strategy or buy and hold. And, you know, we've refinanced one property, pulled out the enough equity to actually put on the down payment for the cottage. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Technically, we bought that cottage using the bank's money and the house we've had it for, I don't know, three, four years. We still have it. We just refinanced it. But again, like, that's a great point because if you buy something small that you can handle to start with wait two three four years at some point you can easily use that refinance and buy a cottage because five years ago I would have never thought I would own a cottage still in my early 30s
0: (laughs) that's right yeah yeah
3: awesome so Dean where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you
0: so you can reach us through, we're on all of the different social media. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, but uh, you could just uh, find us through our website, serenityvacationrentals.ca and uh, feel free to contact us through then I'd, and you'll, you'll get a hold of me directly. I'd be happy to chat with you.
3: Okay, great. Any final words of advice, last words, or anything else that you would like to let listeners know?
0: No, other than I just want to thank you for the offer to come and speak on the podcast. It, I've been following you for a while on your podcast, so I was very happy to come and speak on the podcast. Also, you mentioned at some point we do have a real estate meetup group in Guelph. So if there's anybody in the Guelph area, it's called Great Meetup Group, which is the Guelph Real Estate Acquisitions Team. And we just have speakers come in different on different investment topics, real estate investment topics from the area. And there's currently no charge to, uh, to attend those meetings. So you can find great on uh, meetup.com.
3: Yeah, very good. And it's a great group, very interactive. You have opportunities to network and always have different speakers on different topics, which is very interesting. So yeah. Yeah, you guys are doing a good job to, to help the folks up there as well.
1: Awesome. Well, On that
3: note, Dean, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate the insights. I feel like I want to go buy some more cottages now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yes, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: All right. Thanks, Sarah. You take care.
3: Hey, guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking
2: for ways that worked. and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio
3: consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive, step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will
2: help you from where you are now to where you wanna be faster